0: Good morning everyone. Today we'll continue in a series we have decided to call Reality Remastered, where we're taking series that we've done in the past and remastering them um, by uh, condensing them into one Sunday and a series of podcasts throughout the week. Last week we did biblical literacy, and today I want to talk about a topic that I've spent a lot of time teaching on and writing about in the past. Uh, it was the very it was like a very transformative series we did in our church. Uh, early on when we were just a year and a half old. And you can find these teachings on our website under a new identity, or you can read um, actually a a book I wrote on the topic from our series called The Truest Thing About You. Today, I wanna teach on identity. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter three. We'll start in verse 13. I'll read this text and then pray. Verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, "Uh, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Lord, I pray that, um, that these words here, the words of the Father spoken over Jesus, that are true of Jesus and because we're in Christ are true of us. I pray that these words would, be, uh, would go down deep this morning, that would transform us in a way that goes beyond my words into your words, Lord, beyond uh, the medium of watching church online to your spirit with us right now, uh, saying the words over us. You uh, are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you, and with you I'm well pleased. I think of Jesus even right now, like how I put my daughter to bed, just how I'm so proud to be her dad. I'm so proud that she's my daughter, and I'm so pleased with her. These are the words of Uh, of a loving father over a child. And I pray that they would be spoken to us by you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus uh, had an identity. He lived out of a core truth about himself. We read this in our text uh, just a second ago. There's a truth about Jesus that he lived out of that went so deep that he embraced with the core of his being. His entire life was shaped by these words, I love you, you're my son, and with you I'm well pleased. See, all of us live our lives from some core truth about ourselves. We believe something about ourselves either consciously or subconsciously, and we live out from that place. Another way of saying this is this, actions that we take have a sense of identity behind them. An example of this would be um, right now during, uh, during shelter-in-place, uh, the, the freeways. this is also on the news. You can probably find this on the news. Um, freeways are a lot more empty. It's easier to get around the bay, but people are speeding like crazy. And as I've been on the freeways, um, driving different places, uh, people pass me at like 90 miles an hour just flying. Now, I don't chase them down and give them a ticket because I don't have an identity that says I am Highway Patrol. I just don't do that. I'm not. A, I'm not a Highway Patrolman, so I'm not going to chase them down. I. I usually look at that person like, I hope there is Highway Patrol somewhere around here to catch this person or something. See, this is this is this is my point. Um, the actions that we take usually have a sense of identity behind them. I don't chase that person down because I don't have an identity that says I'm Highway Patrol. Now, this is where it gets a bit scary. If the actions we take have a sense of identity behind them, and most of them do, and our actions are that we consistently put our job before our family, or we used to in the old world, it's because you believe something about yourself and your life. If you're addicted to pornography, if you're addicted to success, if, you're, if you're, you have repeated patterns of broken relationships, if you can't help yourself from self-medicating, whether that's with substances or sex or the latest romance novel or whatever, why? That, actually, if you ever stop to think about this, there is identity behind that ways that you're seeing yourself. I'm not talking about saying to yourself, you know, well, well I'm a sinner. That's why I do that. We're, we're all sinners, all of us. That's not, that's not the reason. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about underneath that action, there's something deep about how you see yourself and how you see yourself in the world that's causing you and I to act out certain things. Those actions done over and over again, have a sense of identity behind them, what you truly believe about yourself. So here's the question, who are you? What's your identity in? See, traditionally, identity comes from what's most identical about us in every situation that we're in. And we get an identity, identical, that's kind of how it comes from. By that definition, we can see how finding and discovering an identity can be so hard I mean, what's true about you in every situation you're in? What's at your unchangeable core? In our modern identity constructs, we tend to find identity in three places, maybe even a combination of these three places. We tend to find our identity in what we do, in what we have, and what we desire. This is kind of where we find our modern identity from. I am what I do, I am what I have, or I am what I want. See, I am what I do goes something like this. I am my career. I am my art or my discipline. Um, I find meaning in what I do. Now, this makes a ton of sense because what we normally do takes up most of our time and our thought life and our, our day. And it's easy to find an identity in what we do. This is, for a large part, when I moved to San Francisco a little over 10 years ago, Um, This town is a working town. People move here to work, right? So what do you do is a very common question. We find our identity as people that live in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, as like, what have you founded or co-founded or sold? And what venture are you onto now? Or where did you work or used to work? What is your resume? Where Where do you work now? We all know why this is a potent way to grab an identity because what we do is oftentimes where we gather self-worth or value. That's, e- that's easy. Like when we do something great, we feel valuable. I have value because I'm valuable to my company or I'm valuable to my organization. I have value because I'm valuable to my family. But what happens during COVID? What happens when we lose our jobs or what we do, we can't do any more. Or what we do in a certain way, we can't do it in the way we did it before. Now, the answer is, and you know what the answer is, the answer is we lose a sense of self. We have an identity crisis. And this is kind of what's going on everywhere, by the way. Um, it's happened to me. I feel this right now. The what, what I used to do three months ago, two months ago, uh, or actually three months ago, I don't do in the same way anymore, and I have to find my bearings again. And I'm, I, I've had, over the last several weeks, a little mini identity crisis where I have to come back to what I'm teaching on right now. See, right now, during a, a global p- pandemic, this is where a lot of people find themselves, a shaken identity because what we do, we don't do anymore, or we don't do it in the way we used to do it, and thus we can't gain as much self-worth as we did before from what we used to do. I read an article this last week in New York Magazine titled, Is This the End of Productivity? Amid the pandemic, workers whose jobs once defined their lives are questioning what it was all for, and of course, I love this article because it's exactly what I'm talking about. And this article, it told the story of people who live in San Francisco and in New York who gave themselves to their jobs, who worked a lot of hours amid having families and other commitments, all to advance their careers. And now during COVID, it is all stopped. And because the world has stopped, some have a crisis of identity and realizing what in the world was I working so hard for? What was I doing? What was I doing it for? What is this all for? How did I fall under the trap of worshiping the cult of productivity? One woman in the article said this, quote, "When you make your identity what you produce, then you're limiting yourself because the stakes of being wrong or not producing at the level one expects of themselves are much higher if someone defines themselves by what they do." See, doing can be great and can feel great until you can't do that anymore. Those things can give us worth, but they can also remove our worth. Now, here's the point. What you do is true about you, but it's not the truest thing about you. By building a whole identity on what we do, it creates in us an identity that can crumble with the economy or it can be broken by an unseen virus. But we also find an identity around what we have, not just do, but have. I am what I have. The things we earn, the things that we acquire, like money or possessions, we define ourselves by these things. Or these things can be given to us that are outside of our control. Example would be, um, you find your identity in your good looks. That was given to you. I mean, you might, you might like cultivate some of it, but it was, it's genetics, right? You're beautiful because of genetics, right? And because of society deems the way that your genetics are made up, call you beautiful. So we, we find our identity in that. We find our identity in our fashion sense. We're super creative. We're magnetic in our personality. We're charming or delightful. And we always know just what to say in dinner parties or whatever. And those are the things that we have. We love the fact that we have beauty, whatever or it could be negative. You can find your identity in being the person who grew up without a dad or an abusive or broken home with a certain disability or a shortcoming. Now, this has come up for me again really recently. Like the rest of the world, I've been savoring every episode of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary on the last winning season with the Bulls. Um, and there was an episode where it was talking about the cultural phenomenon that was uh, the Nike Air Jordan shoes. And uh, that was uh, honestly a little triggering for me because everyone on social media or whatever was like talking about their first Jordans and when they got them and waiting in line when they were a kid and whatever. And um, growing up, I couldn't afford them at all. couldn't, I mean, couldn't afford them at, a, at all. And the closest that I got was a, a pair of knockoff Air Jordans from a shoe store called Payless. And, I was made fun of, all in sixth grade, for wearing uh, knockoff Air Jordan 4s. And um, I, I started, I didn't know this at the time, I was defining my identity by what I don't have. I don't have nice shoes. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. And guess what? People are telling me I'm not enough and I'm not worthy. It's not just in my head. People are saying that to me. But we know how this works, right? We, what, what happened was, and this is what happens in every coming of age movie, right? Every underdog type movie. As soon as I could, I, as soon as I made my own money, I can start buying my own identity. And so I would buy my identity through buying nice things, through saying, I'm not that anymore. Look at what I have. We do this all the time. Now, there's silly illustrations like shoes, but actually can run pretty deep, and there's really large illustrations of this by our productivity, the fact that you can never earn your parents' love, and the only way you can earn your parents' love was by having good grades or going to get good grades. It wasn't that you were enough. You had to do something, perform something, be something else. This is how this works. I am what I have is an identity structure that's built on our modern idea of consumerism and the self-made person. And what what are the effects of this identity structure? Well, if we have money, we tend to want to have more money. If we have good looks, we have to keep our good looks. And so life becomes about consumption, about never having enough and always trying to have more. What you have or do not have is true about you, but it's not the truest thing about you. Lastly, we form an identity identity around what we desire. I am what I want, I am what I desire. We say things like, I wanna be true to myself. I am not my, my job or I'm not my art, I'm not my family, I am me. I am whatever I desire. However, I want to express myself, that's who I am. We live in the city of that, right? San Francisco is the city of I am what I desire. I am what I want. Don't tell me what I am. I am whatever I feel I am. This is also where we construct and form a sexual identity. I am what I desire. I am what I am who I am attracted to. Now, in this identity structure, we are told that we need to remove all constraints of society maybe even take hallucinogenics. And when we find deep down who we really are, deep, deep inside of us, that's who we are. I am what I desire. Now, what you desire may or may not be true about you, but it's not the truest thing about you. Now, the problem with these identity structures, from what I do, what I have, to what I desire, is that you're forming an identity around moving parts. Because there's nothing about what you do that is 100% secure. There is nothing about what you have that's a given. Anything could be taken away from you. We all know this. Health, wealth, relationships, situations, we're living that globally right now. And we are all little bundles of conflicting desires. That's why defining ourselves by what we desire is not a good uh, uh, identity construct because every soul that's listening to me right now is a complex mix of sexual desire and spiritual desire and emotional desire and physical wants and all of those things conflict. So then, who are you? What is the truest thing about you? What's at your unchangeable core? Well, Christianity affirms a foundation of identity that is absolutely unique in the marketplace of spiritualities. Our being and thus identity is grounded in God's love. I'm going to say that again. Our being and thus our identity is grounded in God's love. The generative love of God was our origin. It is our origin. Love is our identity. We were created from love of love and for love. Our existence as humans makes us makes no sense apart from divine love. You make no sense apart from divine love. This world makes no sense apart from divine love. That is who we are. Now, we may know that on paper. You may know that intellectually. You may have even heard this sermon before. You may have read the book. You know exactly where I'm going with this next point. You know, the next thing out of my mouth is that you are loved by God. That is your identity. That is the truest thing about you. You may know that. But the problem is, we are not that good at receiving that love. We can know it intellectually. We can know it theologically. We can know it on a question and answer. We can know it on an interview. We can know it on on a Zoom call with our community group. But letting that love all the way in so it reshapes us and transforms us is the challenge. See, you have to let it in. You have to embrace the love of God through Jesus. As in, you have to let the love of God in you. You have to let God love you. And you have to let God love all of you. Do you realize that God loves you as you are? As you are. And understanding that reality, understanding that God loves you as you are right now, understanding that is the only real way you can change. It's the only real way that you can be transformed and move toward your true identity in Christ. You have to almost realize that God, in all of your brokenness and all of your sin, I have no idea what you've been doing the last couple of months because I haven't seen you, but all of that stuff, all of the conflicting desires, all the sin, all the, all the waywardness, all the anger, all the grief, all the stuff, God loves you right now as you are. And you have to receive that. You have to let that in. And to the degree that you let that in, to the degree that you believe that, not the cleaned up version of yourself, not the like, oh, I'm gonna clean up my life before church resumes in person again. Not that, right now, as you are. To the degree that you believe that and receive that is the degree that you can begin to be transformed by this love, because that's the, that's the way love works. You have to let it in. In Matthew 13, or 313, uh, the scripture that we read at the beginning, it says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up and he came out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was open. Heaven was like torn open. And the spirit of the living God is descending like a dove on Jesus. Now, this is a recapitulation of Genesis 1 and 2, by the way. Um, but that's not the point here. That, that, that is a really cool point. But what's going on here is this next sentence. And a voice from heaven, and this is the father's voice, a voice speaks and says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is the voice that the father speaks over us. Now you may be thinking, I am not Jesus. And if God spoke a voice from heaven to me right now, it might not be that pretty. It might not be that nice. It would probably sound a lot different than that if there was a voice that broke through heaven right now. Listen, Christian teaching and theology says that when we become followers of Jesus, what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. This is exactly what's going on in this scene, this water baptism scene. Jesus steps into the waters of baptism. Now, here's the thing. John, remember at the beginning, John's arguing with him. No, 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 Jesus, you can't be baptized. I should be baptized by you. This is a baptism of repentance. This is a baptism of people saying they have sin, and you are sinless. You don't have any sin. You're flawless. Why are you in the water? Now, why is Jesus in the water? This is a really good question. Why is Jesus stepping into and being baptized? Jesus is stepping in there, not to be cleansed from his sin, but because he steps into our experience and we get to step into his experience. That's what's happening in the baptism. He steps in ours and we step in his. Do you see how this works? That's what the argument that he had with John is all about. No, you can't do this. Jesus says, it's how this whole thing works. I take your place and you take mine. So Jesus steps into the river Jordan and we... Get to hear the words that are true of him becoming true of us he steps into our mess and we get to hear the words spoken this is that do you see how that's that's what's going on here you are my beloved in whom i'm well pleased now this was before jesus did anything this is the beginning of his ministry not the end of his ministry he didn't have to prove himself see action flows from identity remember And the action of Jesus from this point on flows from the fact that he's beloved of God. He's loved by the Father. He's secure. And actually, if you jump to the very end of the book of John, Jesus um, uh, takes off his outer robe and washes the disciples' feet about to go to the cross. And John says it's because he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. The reason why he's able to serve and give his life is because he knew who he was. He was secure in the Father's love. He was secure that this, I, can, I can obey the Father's will even though it's going to cost me my life because God loves me and he would not let me be put to shame. This is how it works. And because that's true of Jesus, it's now true of us. And the second reason why I share this story is because we, like Jesus, have to receive this love as an identity, like Jesus, we have to let it go all the way in. If we learn anything from the story about Jesus and how to maybe emulate him or become like him, Jesus let this identity in all the way. We know that from the very next story because he goes into the tempta- wilderness temptation. Right after this, he's driven to the wilderness and Satan tempts him with false identities. If you really are the son of God, do this. If you really are, if you are really loved, Jesus is like, I don't have to prove that. I don't, need, I don't need to prove myself by doing this and that and this. I'm already secure in the Father's love. I don't have to earn it. It's already there. Now, I, I share this because we have to actually learn how to do this like Jesus. We have to l- learn how to let the love of God in to shape our identity. David Benner, in his great book, The Gift of Being Yourself, writes this. In order for our knowing of God's love to be truly transformational, it must become the basis of our identity, Our identity is who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. You see how this works here? The first thing that comes to our mind when we think of who we are must be, not a description of what we do, our job, our relational status, our stuff, our sexual desires, our sexual orientation. No, it has to be someone who is deeply loved by God. When we get that right, when we start to, like Jesus, take that in, in order for our knowing of God's love to truly be transformational, it has to to go all the way in and begin to be the basis of our entire identity. When we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves first as I'm loved by God. This is what makes identity so hard to figure out though. We have to let God's love in. We have to let it transform us. But of course the question is, do we? Do we let it in? And if we don't, which oftentimes we don't, why don't we? Because, and here's why we don't, because it's much easier to let other stuff in, to let other stuff define us. It's way easier to be defined by our careers if it's going good than defined by God's love. Because the career that's going good, we feel like we've done that, we've earned that. I deserve those accolades. I've worked on my physique. I've worked on my resume. I've worked on my company or whatever it is that we do. And it feels a lot better, but it's not as sustaining. It's not as life changing. It's actually easier in some ways. Kurt Thompson, psychiatrist and author, touched on this in his blog uh, blog post that he posted last week where he said, before COVID-19, we didn't know how much we were using all our stuff and experience to make up for the vacuity in our souls that has needed to be filled with love for longer than we knew, but that we have instead laden with other merchandise, material, and otherwise. This is this is the experience, right? This is it. This is like when COVID happened and all the stuff that we were so kind of addicted to, and travel, and restaurants, and work, and the way that we worked, and the people we worked around, and all this other stuff. A lot of us are like, why are we here? Like a lot of people are asking, why do I why do I live in San Francisco? Why do I why am I doing what I did? Why? What, this, isn't, this isn't the same. And we realize that we were actually getting our little hits off of all of the stuff. And now that's gone, and we realize that we have this vacuum. We have this void that needs to be filled with love, that needs to be filled with the love of God. If that describes you, you're not alone. You're not alone. I I've felt this as well. Actually, all the spiritual writers that you read that talk about identity say the same thing. They know it intellectually, but God takes us on a wilderness journey of some sort to actually get this deep in. This is the single hardest part of being a Christian and being transformed by God by, by reordering our identity so that the true thing about us becomes how we, actually how we operate and see ourselves. Getting the truth of our belovedness to the core of our being. Now, how do we do that? How is this done? How do we participate in getting the truest truth to be the truth we see when we look at ourselves? And the answer is this. It's a theological concept called union with Christ, union, it's the fact that we're in Christ and Christ is in us. And that union is what transforms our identity. It's what Jesus had with the Father, union. It's what Jesus prayed for that we would have with the Father and the Son and the Spirit after his crucifixion and resurrection and the Spirit coming, is union, that we would be one with God, that God has loved Christ and that we're brought into that love affair with and through Jesus. The best and ro- most robust place to find this is the idea uh, of, of in Christness that Paul portrays in Ephesians chapter 1, where he talks about union. and uses this phrase, in Christ. So let's read this together. And every single time I read it, I want you to say out loud wherever you're at, in Christ. It's on the screen. It's underlined. Let's read this together. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, in Christ, here it is again, might be for the praise of his glory. And you who were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, was a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glorious grace? Everyone, say Amen. Now, this is Paul keeps going on. He 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 says the way that our identity is transformed is our realization that we're in Christ and that Christ is in us. And this union is the foundation of becoming our true selves and living from the core truth of being the beloved of God is our realization of being in Christ. Again, David Benner. The mystery of the Christian gospel is that our deepest, truest self is not what we think of as our own separate self, but the self that is one with Christ. Wow. Let me stop there for a second. This is the realization of identity. It's like, it's not me apart from God that I find my identity. And some of you are there that have walked away from Christian tradition, Christian faith, uh, certain types of belief that you're kind of shedding, maybe some of the stuff that you grew up with, some of the beliefs that you grew up with. And you think, we think, we kind of are gonna find ourselves out here. You can only find yourself, your true self in God. And so I'll read this again, this is so good. The mystery of the Christian gospel is that our deepest, truest self is not what we think of as our own separate self, but the self that is one with Christ. This is the reason that the self that embarks on the journey of Christ following is not the self that arrives. The self that begins the spiritual journey is the self of our own creation, the self we thought ourselves to be. This is the self that dies on the journey. The self that arrives is the self that is loved into existence by divine love. This is the person we were destined from eternity to become, the I that is hidden in the I am. The I that is hidden in the I am. Now, this journey must start with allowing the love of God to be received by us right now no matter what you've done or where you are at. If you're at your lowest point in life right now or you're living your best life, we have to let the love of God in, all the way in. We have to allow the, our union with Christ to begin to transform us. But we must be honest with God and ourselves with where we're at right now. We have to be honest. Reality must be embraced before it can be changed. Our reality must be embraced. Where we're at in life right now, what we're addicted to, what we're afraid of, what we don't want to become, what we are becoming, all that has to be embraced. Your temptations, your proclivities, all of that right now has to be embraced before it can be changed. See, a lot of us think that we come into Christianity as denying, all, all, denying ourselves and following Jesus, and though that is very, very, very true and biblical, and Jesus said that, we, we don't really have an idea what that means. We, we don't know how to deny ourselves because we don't know ourselves. We haven't embraced ourselves as Christ embraced us and allowed his embrace to transform all the, the broken and twisted parts of us. We have to allow him to do, we have to let him in. This is where confession comes in. This is where sitting and allowing God to into the the rooms in our hearts and our lives that we have locked to him. This is where we have to let him all the way in. We have to be willing to accept ourselves as God accepts us fully and unconditionally, just as we are. And only when that happens, does the process of God's unconditional love begin to take its full effect. So I'll close here. Church, you are loved by God you are accepted by God. You are put in right relationship with God, not by your own doing, not because you have the right family, not because you have the right education, not because you have the right desires or attractions, not because you have the right job, but because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and him inviting you to follow him and you choosing to make him the Lord of your life. That is, You are accepted by God because of what he's done for you on the cross and through the resurrection. That's who you are. I'll close with this teaching would not be complete without a quote from Henry Nouwen. So I'll close with this. Henry Nouwen says, if you know you are the beloved of God, you can live with an enormous amount of success and an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is that you are the beloved. That is who you are. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that, um, I pray that this week we would begin to metabolize some of this as we let you all the way in, as we we start redefining our lives and the way we see ourselves by being loved, by being the beloved of God, that that becomes our truest identity and every other identity structure, every other way that we want to identify ourselves falls in line and underneath the supreme identity that we're loved by you, that we were created out of love and from love and we're going to love and you're moving us towards that. I pray that um, if someone's listening and they're not a a Christian, they're not a follower of Jesus, that today they would hear you inviting them to, to step into love and forgiveness and hope and resurrection right now, that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior, and thus be, be uh, these words spoken over them that were spoken over Jesus. You're loved. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm well pleased in you. I pray that would happen today all over the place. In Jesus' name, amen.